Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nightlight, everybody. This is one of my favorite times of the evening, especially Monday nights, when I get to be tutored by experts in every field imaginable and some that aren't even imaginable, actually. I have tonight with me one of my favorite, favorite authors. He is my go-to guy for everything spiritual and biblical. <clears throat> I have Gary Wayne with me. He's the author of the spiritual, the uh, Genesis Six Conspiracy, a book which I have read at least three times, and we have had him on the show many more times than that, because happily he takes a long time to write another book. So we book a, we book a show, and then he isn't quite done yet, and so we book another show, and that's the case tonight. But but we do have him booked for his second edition. And the book cover is, is ready, so I would assume the inside is too. So the next show that you, you see that we have Gary Wayne on with us, um, you're going to find that we're actually talking about the Genesis 6 conspiracy too. Uh, a bit about him first, he is a Christian contrarian who has maintained a lifelong love affair with biblical prophecy, history, and mythology. His extreme study has encompassed the Holy Bible, Gnostic scriptures, the Qumran, the Gita, Gilgamesh, and other ancient epics, language, etymology, and secret society publications. He is an absolute treasure trove of material and literature, and I have been so blessed that he has been kind enough to come on the show with us over and over and over again. So welcome to the show once more, Gary. Well, it's my uh, humble pleasure to, to rejoin you. So thank you for inviting me back to your podcast. And 
you know, I think we, we do some pretty interesting shows, so always willing to come back and have a discussion with you, Barbara, because I think there's some of the more memorable shows that we've done that, that you know, may be on the Internet, but I might be I might be exaggerating a little bit, but I think we certainly do talk about a lot of good things. Oh, absolutely. And <clears throat> so I was very curious what you were going to come up with for tonight. Absolutely it stopped me dead in my tracks because – your topic is is the Stern Collider, and um, frankly, I don't recall that being mentioned in the Old Testament. So it, it's going no, to be... No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, you know, it was like, okay, and, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, you, you are able to weave your, your philosophies and, and your wisdom in many different places, and and I've always been amazed at how you bring it all in. But when you said the CERN, the CERN collider, all I could think of was, all right, so he's off track just a little bit, but it's going to be fascinating to see how he pulls it all together. So, um, <clears throat> so for those who don't know what the the CERN collider is, we we better fill him in a little bit and then explain what it's looking for and how it relates to what you do. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of information out there about CERN. If people haven't heard me talk about CERN before, then I, I believe it doesn't matter what belief system you're in, whether you're a monotheist of the three main faiths or several other branches thereof, whether or not you're, you're polytheist, secular. I think tonight's information is going to raise uh, some eyebrows and connect a lot of dots and make a lot of sense as to where we are and where we're going and where we came from. So it's just an absolutely fun topic that hits on a lot of levels. And I'm going to begin with um, just sort of setting the table and clarifying things that uh, we're going to talk about knowledge and uh, science and research and uh, that so that people don't take sort of the wrong idea. I'm not anti-knowledge. I'm not anti-science. I'm not anti-research. Uh, I think that all knowledge um, can be used for good or it can be used for evil. So it's not the knowledge. It's how it's used. And we always sort of need to keep that in mind. I also think as a good premise for people to sort of understand as to some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is that, and as I write in, in, in the first book and allude to in the second book that's coming out, is that before the flood, in all cultures all around the world, all languages, all continents except for Antarctica, and who knows what we'll find there, is there hmm. was a knowledge base and a level of technology that we're just starting to come to today and it sort of is sort of brings into mind a passage in Jesus's end time oration with the fig tree generation um, that um, will also be like the days of Noah so both before and after the flood when the angels or the gods walked amongst us and in our shared sort of history and so this is the knowledge that we're catching back up to. 
And that's why this is such an interesting sort of topic. And that when we imply this, if you're a Christian, you might call it angelic technology or fallen Nephilim angelic technology, or you just might call it the technology of the Anunnaki, whether you're of the alien mythos or uh, a polytheist variety or just looking at names in history from a secular writing. But it is technology of the gods. It is a technology that is superior to what we have, but we are catching up, and I think with some help. And I think it directly relates back to the knowledge that was before the flood and was probably quickly sort of restarted after the flood, but came to a halt for whatever reasons that people might uh, come to. So just setting that as sort of the uh, table here. And uh, so CERN is a institution. I would call it a scientific corporation. And it was the birthplace for the World Wide Web and uh, in about 1990 and um, it was used to link into the internet and, and hypertext and web pages are from the hypertext sort of media so just that sort of understanding that this is the CERN corporation the CERN scientific project is on the leading edge of our technology in a world that is developing at an unprecedented pace and hard for us to keep up with with things like AI that we're going to link in in tonight is that we need to pay attention who they are, whether or not you're for that technology, against that technology, think it's good, think it's bad, doesn't really matter. It's about understanding the facts and then sort of making your own decisions on it. CERN is one of these unique organizations in the world that has UN observer status. There's only one other organization that has that kind of status, and that's the Knights of St. John or the Knights of Malta, uh, which is another show in itself in terms of why that organization would have that sort of privileged position. Sorry, Barbara? No, I just said, oh, that caught me off guard. Yeah. So they have the right to speak at the general meetings and at the debates. They have the right to sign resolutions and vote on procedural matters, and they have the right uh, to sign the signatories on working papers. So they have a privileged place because of the type of technology and the things that they're that they're working on. And so CERN believes that science is a vehicle for social change, and that things like changing the refugee crisis they want to you know apply this technology to that or gender equality or stem research science technology engineering and math as as they like to call it that's part of the whole sacred arts and development to to the level that it can be fully developed at they're at the forefront of science in europe concerned partners with companies to get its technology into the marketplace with licensed agreements using what they call KT groups or knowledge and technology, which is also an interesting term to call them KTs because in the secret societies, KTs, particularly in the Masonic movement, is the order of the Knights Templar and the rituals that they do in respect for that organizational structure. And STEM is also an interesting 
word that is used that's an acronym for other things as well. But in sort of the secret society and the bloodline world, uh, it is it, it, it's, it's a cognate or equivalent to what they would call the thalamic tree. And that's the tree that is uh, the trunk that goes up and all the branches that go in it like a giant cedar tree from Mount Hermon um, organizes their whole organizational structure in the world. And science and the development knowledge, especially Gnosticism and polytheism, polytheism as a whole, is a development of knowledge religion. And this plays into it. And the other sort of allegory to the Thelemic tree would be like a giant elm or oak tree that is the depiction, or an ash tree, uh, that is depicted in genealogy trees or family trees. And again, for their specific bloodlines that they're, that they're interested in. So just sort of laid that down just for people to start sort of thinking about a little bit. And then I want to go into a little bit of history of some of the science that they do there because, I mean, we all know that they are using the Hadron Collider to search for unknown cosmic particles, how the Big Bang Theory worked, the beginning of the universe, all of those starts, you know, types of things and that they're looking for, you know, dark particles that interact um, another particle, some people call it the uh, the God particle, but not really in terms of at least what they're you know putting us out. But there is a particle that we're going to talk about later on in the show that is, I think, what they're also looking for. And so when we look at um, the, uh, some of the technology that goes in it, we have AI, which has always been sort of thought about and we're closing in on, and there's starting to be a lot of concerns about AI. But AI is used at CERN, and the other one is quantum computing and quantum mechanics. So quantum computing and quantum mechanics, it works in multiple dimensions. And so however many dimensions there might be, this is a technology that accesses those Dimensions, and you could look at that as like portals into other universes or portals into other dimensions. And the issue with quantum mechanics is it's like firing a rifle, so it's a single shot, so it's not very efficient. So that's why you need AI to do ever increasing searches added into the quantum ability of different dimensions to search and. I don't, I mean, it's hard to know how many searches they can do at one time with the development of AI in how many different dimensions, but they can do it at a rate that is unprecedented, at least from our epoch and our, our sort of understanding of our history. And so we need to understand better what all of this technology is kind of leading to and what they're hoping to find or do with some of this technology. So what's interesting is, is on the quantum mechanics and the quantum math um, that goes with this technology is it has more of a recent history, like in the last 120 years or so. And so the pioneers were people like uh, Wolfgang Pauli. Um, and he was 
you know, a very intelligent individual, obviously, uh, very much a fan of the philosophy of Carl Jung into alchemy, uh, and then also a fan of Eastern religions. And Niels uh, Bohr is another one of these early pioneers, as were was Werner Heisenberg and a fellow by the name of Schrodinger. And what's common with all four of these that we're talking about is that they consulted the Vedas or the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita for wisdom in this type of research, which is really, really interesting. But it's not so surprising if you go back to what I said, that polytheist religions are a knowledge religion of expanding knowledge and developing knowledge. And so what became clear to the pioneers is that if you wanted to understand the principles and the, the whole concept of, of quantum mechanics, you had to understand these ancient Vedas uh, and the knowledge that was written in there because it gave you the context, it gave you the pattern, it gave you the template of what you're going to need to do the research on this. And in this sort of thought is that the, that the conclusion of the Veda thought is that there is a unity of what they call a Vedanta reflected in wave mechanics and particles. And that there's a consciousness and one entity that goes through all dimensions instantaneously. And that there are multiple dimensions. So they knew about multiple dimensions in, in the time of the Vedas. And the Vedas go back as far as 3000 BC and some would say much further back. So it's this type of understanding that they needed to learn the, this type of uh, teaching to understand what they were going to be trying to develop in sort of a math kind of way. And they believed with this sort of thought process that the universe works like a quantum computer as the whole ideology was developing and with intelligence. So you have like this, in that sort of understanding, this sentient intelligence that's acting through and with and like a quantum computer. And for me, that's just absolutely stunning to hear scientists talk Scientists talk in this kind of manner and with a sort of religious, religious sort of basis for the theology or the philosophy that, that they are developing. And this is kind of the whole sort of principle behind the AI and quantum computer that they're using at CERN. And so the universe in that understanding and also in Eastern religions, and in a lot of polytheist religions is that the universe is a hologram or a matrix. And it's a projection of what happens in, in heaven, wherever someone might want to think heaven is, and that can be different whether you're depending on what religion that, that you're worshiping. And that the, it is a universe that's a hologram and a matrix of the all-knowing quantum computer. So this all-knowing sort of knowledge that is out there that you could likely access. And again, that is absolutely sort of phenomenal and kind of stunning just from a, you know, if you're just looking at science as how we're taught in school, that there's some of this 
guiding principle that, that is leading some of the most advanced technology that's being developed in the world. So, And then I learned well, this, a couple other things wait, about it this, before we start to read. Is this, is, this in other, is this, in other words, saying that, <clears throat> that some reference as a god or a supreme being is an energetic awareness similar to a computer or that it is a computer? Well, you sort of get both, but as we go further, it will be not just a computer. It will be an energy or an essence, let's put it that way. And But I thought okay. before I got that far, it would be good to sort of lay down some of, some of the concepts because... Okay. You can read the research on it and, and the articles on this, and you can think, well, yeah, is it just this AI computer or is it something more than that and what runs it, right? So huh? so when we look at CERN and, and them looking for the, looking at the dark particles, um, we, we know that CERN uses this collider to search for these things, and, well, obviously they're looking for other things as well you know, unknown cosmic particles in the, in the dark matter, obviously to add to their, to their knowledge and probably some key ingredients that they're looking for to take this knowledge to another level. So they use something called the Atlas detector in this. And one of the things that science tends to do is that they name things after gods and heroes and things that are Greek mythology and history, that are Roman mythology, Egyptian, and in the various sort of main cultures, and uh, in sort of honor of some of those religions, I think, that were developing th this knowledge. And so Atlas is kind of an interesting sort of analogy, but I'll, I'll come back to that in, in a second. So they're looking for these dark particles that interact. And dark matter, five to six times more, uh, dark matter is, is five to six times greater and in interacting more than visible matter. And it could be even much higher than that. Um, it is, uh, the theory is, is that the dark matter interacts through a, a mediator particle. So that arbitrator or mediator particle is something that is obviously one of those key ingredients that I think that they're, that they're looking for. And that this mediator particle has a super partner um, to, you know, that it would be able to interact with. And uh, so all of this is, is, is rather interesting. Um, but it's it's still sort of talking on very sophisticated, high advanced uh, research and things like that. But at the bottom of it is, is if you understand it sort of this way, they're looking for some elementary particles that are primary to the transfer of what they call the dark photon particle via introduced quantum energy um, to uh, excite the dark particle because then things can move instantaneously through quantum entanglement. And so after sort of laying that out and getting into exactly what, what I think they're looking for, I want to get into uh, a few other aspects of CERN because there's, there's multiple avenues to go down here. So CERN, when it talks about the, the ATLAS experiment, 
Uh, it's the largest detector ever constructed. It's like Atlas was a giant, and in Greek mythology, um, you had a titan also named Atlas, a titan as in a god that had the world on its shoulder versus the titan demigod or earthly Atlas that was part of the Atlantean Empire. Um, and so this is an experimental behemoth, as they like to refer to, which is kind of a biblical term. It's the uh, land creature that is sort of cognate to the sea serpent or the Leviathan or the Tiamat or the Lotan or all the different names for it around the world. So we got a lot of prehistory and uh, connections into prophecy as we start to lay down some of this technology and its in its various connections and looking at sort of the prehistory side atlas was the king of atlantis uh, with nine other kings and so ten kings and in prophecy we have ten kings coming in the end time um and atlas is the, the uh, ai archetype as they like to call it so again they're using that sort of imagery to name things and uh, sort of gives it sort of an intriguing sort of look to it from, from the outside. Um, and another thing that's sort of interesting about the CERN working environment is the connection to Shiva. But if you understand that a lot of the wisdom and the knowledge is kind of based on the Vedas, then, you know, the, the Shiva destroyer god out of the, the Indian uh, pantheon is, is not too surprising to be sort of connected in there. And so we've seen on the internet and on the news that many of the employees have done the cosmic dance of Shiva in a burning halo as it was normally uh, done or should be done, which is sort of an allegory for an orb. And an orb is what gods were kind of thought to come through different portals or maybe unlimited access using these orbs as what is thought to be like a quantum bubble. So when you see imageries coming out of a prehistory where it's got a face in it and it's in an orb, that's a, that is a god that is going from one dimension into our dimension and what they call, as I said, the quantum bubble. And so you also have this dance of God, the Nataraja, and it's associated with the creation of the earth um, and directly associated not just with the creation of the earth, but with Shiva that destroys to recreate. So it will, in that sort of thought growth, that there will be, there's a destruction of the earth that would be coming just as it was in prehistory because nothing is new under the sun. What was will be again. Uh, that there will be a destruction that will be used to recreate the earth and into another epoch. Um, so it's sort of consistent, again, with a lot of the different sort of polytheists of the, uh, of, of the various zodiacal ages and, and the, the procession through the uh, astronomical charts with the time. I think it's like 2,300 and some odd years is one of those ages. And we started a new one with the age of Aquarius in 2012. And so these uh, these are some of the interesting things that um, what kind of look at is this into other dimensions and then into, uh, I would say, the twilight zone in terms of the connections between Atlas and giants. 
and the the polytheist religions and prehistory, and then this particle that's going to lead to this. Um, uh, and I'll call the particle out right now just so that we know what we're talking about so uh, I'm not confusing people. It's the Atma particle or the Atman particle. So it's spelled A-T-M-A and A-T-M-A-N. And that's what they would be like the holy grail of what they're looking for to use uh, another sort of allegorical term that, that comes out of prehistory and will be more prominent in the, in the future. So where this kind of intersects now, just as I was talking about, we're going to get back to that technology later, but I want to take this in more of the religious sort of aspect. Um, and that with uh, Nimrod, after, um, after the flood, and Nimrod was built about 100 years after the flood in a time when the gods were still walking among us, so post-Diluvian gods like Baal. Um, and Mot out of the Canaanite pantheon, or Enlil and Anki out of the Sumerian pantheon, or Zeus out of the Greek pantheon, Osiris and Isis. So you get sort of the flavor of the gods, and likely they're the same pantheon and the same gods, just with different vernacular names. So Nimrod is staging a rebellion against God at this point in time, and he is picking up on this antediluvian pre-flood religion and knowledge development that has been handed to him according to the Polychronicon and ancient Masons and Rosicrucians and all of that sort of Gnostic sort of history where Hermes finds the seven pillars or the two pillars of Lamech and Enoch. And on that is the directions to all the knowledge that Enoch, son of Cain, wrote down into books that later merged into the angelic technology. And so they were stacked in seven vaults, stacked on top of each other, according to their history, under the Great Pyramid. Hermes finds that brings it back to Nimrod. Nimrod is understood by masons and gnostics in, in certain sects as being the first grand master of masonic and masonry after the flood and he writes that first constitution and puts the first practices with his knowledge and he implements the enochian mysticism the atlantean religion after the flood at babel but the thing is is that babel is that he's building this tower or this pyramid or this ziggurat because they're all all shaped a little bit differently, but they all functioned as the same type of function and or technology um, before the flood. And Nimrod is using this antediluvian angelic technology and knowledge to build this this uh, pyramid or this tower. And in legends and writings outside the Bible, he would climb this ziggurat as it's being built, and he would shake his sword at uh, the heavens and, and and say to the God of the universe that if you ever cause another flood, I'm going to go into heaven and I'm going to slay you. So obviously the language of the brave, if not foolish. <laughs> so even if it's not the God of the Bible, even if it's another God, it would be more powerful than the Nimrod. But Babel isn't understood in Sumeria and in the Akkadian languages, all that sort of come out of it from the Nimrodian bloodlines and him staying in, 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 in Shinar or Sumer after, after the fall of Babel. 
Uh, it doesn't mean confusion of languages there as it does in the Bible and in the Hebrew language. It, it comes from the breakdown of Babel as in Babalu, uh, I-L-U, which is a transliteration for E-L or A-L as in Baal, and that meaning a god or an angel. And Bab is understood as a portal or a stargate. So really? now you don't look at it as, well, that's crazy. You, you can't build a pyramid into heaven. You, it's just it's not physically possible to do that. But if this was a technology, and he could use this quantum technology to go into other portals, you, or why Nimrod would say such things that he is going to go into heaven and uh, deal with the God of the Bible if he gets out of hand again. And... This is the same thing Antichrist will do in the end time, according to the Bible, where in Daniel 8.10, and I think at the same timing as in Revelation 12 with the war in heaven, because they're both at the midpoint of the last seven years when Antichrist comes to power, is he's going to go into the heavens and actually war up there, and he's going to drag down some of the starry hosts. So it starts to lend some credibility. Barbara, you're, you're wanting to get in there? Well, I, you know, yeah, when it came, <clears throat> when it comes to the Tower of Babel, um, you know, it never made sense to me because quite obviously they weren't going to get that high. But if it was being built as a portal, that makes much more sense to me. Yeah, and they tended to build these pyramids, ziggurats, and towers on ley lines and energy lines, and that they weren't just burial sites for, for the kings. They were at some sort of technology of energy of some sort and maybe more maybe to be able to go into you know other 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 sort of dimensions so you know in the ugaritic texts we have um an accounting of the balim baal and his father el and uh, the dating tends tends to lend towards a post-diluvian um, with Baal leading and replacing El with the Baalim on Mount Hermon. And that there's a group of people that they create called the Raphaim, or the Raphiu, or the Raphiam, as it would be RPM in the original Semitic out of the Ugarit. And, and these were healers, and they were uh, spirits, and they were giants, and they were the kings, and uh, as, as the word was defined. And that they had the ability, as did the angels to go through portals into the underworld and who knows what other dimensions but certainly the underworld and they did that on certain occasions and also on occasions when one of those kings died to make sure that they arrived in their heaven which is the underworld where their gods were ruling from where they received their power from uh, and they got there to get there safely so, again, we get accounts that are connected biblically with the same types of people that are talked about both in the Ugaritic texts and in, in the Bible. And we get these travelers that are talked about in association with the Raphaim in the Bible. And, you know, the best example would be in, in the book of Ezekiel during the Gog War of the, the end time. You have these travelers or passengers, depending on which... Bible translation in Ezekiel 39 that you're that you're reading, but it's part of this Gog War that happens just before the midpoint of the last seven years, and these travelers come along, and it goes back to the Hebrew word abar, 
which is associated with death and crossing over and into the portals, and in this case, into Sheol or in, into Hades. And you have, and that's the Gog Magog war. And Gog and Magog, uh, Magog is in the Bible as part of the Table of Nations and the descendants of Noah, but Gog is not. But Magog and Gog and Albion, to name three, were all sons of a giant, not of a, sorry, not of a giant, of a god named Iapetus, who Poseidon seems to have inherited that position after the flood. And so you have more of these connections back to this angelic technology that the Nephilim and the Rephaim had, and that was commonplace both before and, again, for a time after the flood, uh, as witnessed by the Nimrod and the Ugaritic texts. So we have very, very interesting sort of connections there. And another interesting connection that sort of leads us into some very interesting places is the notion that Shiva is the destroyer god. So, and as we talked about that kind of transition into end-time prophecy in the Gog War that happens just before the midpoint of the last seven years, another thing happens just before the midpoint of the last seven years. That's the infamous opening of the abyss. And the abyss was the prison, biblically, that the fallen, and, and this prison is also listed in uh, uh, some Gnostic books as well, and particularly which gives the greatest descriptions of this abyss prison is the Pistosophia. And so, and, and if you ever get a chance to read it, it, just, it has all these descriptions of all of these gods, some with seven heads and some with single heads and these different cells within in, in the prison. But Biblically, this is, this is the prison for those gods who violated the laws of creation, who violated and blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and also the place in the sides of the abyss, as Ezekiel 32 and Isaiah 14 talk about, for the terrible ones, which are the Eretim, uh, Erit and Iam being the male plural. And these were the, the Raphaim before the flood and the Nephilim before the flood. And the description of Arit describes them as these giants. Um, and that the ones after the flood had this fertility issue as it goes with um, the definition, which is why they needed to start intermarrying with, with humans. That's another rabbit hole, because um, so, I want to stay on track here. But these they're the terrible ones that did terrible things to humankind while they are on earth as uh, it's being talked about in the dual prophecy of Ezekiel 32. And they're talking from the abyss, both the angels and the terrible ones, the giants, who are the disembodied spirits that were sent there because the spirits of the, of the giants did not sleep like humans. So they either went to the abyss, which they didn't want to go to, or they managed to get to Hades through the rituals and through the ships, as in the Egyptian um, religion and history, or other methods and other religions around the world that were polytheists, or they wandered the earth as demon spirits, uh, looking for a place to possess. So these are where the worst of the ones went. And according to the... Egyptian execration text, likely from decapitation as well, um, which is another interesting connection to the giants we don't have time to go into, but that's how they sort of end up there. 
So this is uh, something that's going to be coming out in that abyss before the midpoint of the last seven years that as a result brings about because you, this dog war in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that's in the last days and before the second exodus, which happens in the last three and a half years as Ezekiel 39 talks about. And after, and as an extension out of these scorpion creatures, uh, which I think are degraded watchers coming out of the abyss and all the demons that are there with them, um, you have this 200 million man army that everybody thinks is Armageddon, but it's going to be the counterfeit Armageddon and the, Armageddon, uh, the counterfeit Armageddon that Antichrist will rise to power on and taking credit for winning and then sets up his uh, crowning in the temple at the midpoint of the last seven years. The description of those creatures, and these are chimera-type creatures, are probably uh, the technology that's associated with CERN in terms of the advancement of knowledge to create super warrior weapons, and the riders on the horses are probably um, these disembodied demons that are coming back who will have a clone or an oikitarian or a transhuman body prepared for them so that they can dwell in and interact in the world and participate in the war. And the description in Revelation 9 is identical to the description in Joel 1 and 2 for the war, which is the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. So we have this connection that goes into the end time with this ability to go into other dimensions. And so I wonder whether or not the second thing Nimrod was wanting to do, and one of the things that maybe the people at CERN are wanting to do based on sort of the polytheist sort of overtones to uh, the basis of this technology in the theology or the philosophy uh, of, of what's arbitrating, because philosophy comes out of the thir- first three sciences and is the arbitrator of all of the sciences, and it harmonizes the sciences. So it's the theology of the sciences or the philosophy, with philosophy understood as the love of Sophia or the love of wisdom, and Sophia being the super mother goddess of Gnosticism who creates the 12 archons whom Gnostics believe the God of the Bible was one of who went rogue. And so (laughs) it's thought of then that Nimrod may have been wanting to go into another dimension, into Hades, into Sheol, same place, the other world, and when all known by different names around the world, where the pit prison is located, the abyss, to get his get the gods that he worships out of prison. That was the other aspect okay. that people speculate, and I think you can make a case for that he was probably doing, because he introduced that religion at Babel, and he wanted to sort of overthrow or return the world to the way it was before the flood. So if we sort of look at that sort of connection, and then we look at um, where CERN is located, it's located at uh, St. Genipuy, just outside of Geneva. And in there, uh, you have a Pouillet that derives from Latin Apolliacum, or Apollo, or Apollyon. And in Greek, Apollo, Apollyon are all part of the same series of words. 
even though Apollo is separated into a separate sun god to the destroyer uh, god that is thought to be Azazel, um, I think they're two two different gods that they're referring to, as I guess is my point on it, because it just don't, doesn't seem to uh, sort of mesh up as being Apollo out of the Greek pantheon. But you could look at Mars as being, um, or Ares, I guess, more out of the uh, Greek pantheon as being that war god. So, uh, or Nergal out of Sumeria, or uh, Mars, as I said, out of the out of the Roman and Etruscan pantheon. So, this is where a temple was set up to Apollyacum or Apollyon. And what's interesting is is that Apollo um, is the word, or Apollyon is the, is, means in Greek the destroyer, just as Abaddon means destroyer in Hebrew, and that's the leader of the angels and the demons that come out of the abyss out of the pit prison. And Azazel was the leader of these demons and these leaders of the rebellious angels before the flood. And in the Enochian tradition, he was put into the abyss. In some Gnostic and Masonic traditions, he was chained in Orion. And that when you see this fall the star fall from heaven with the key to open the abyss, one might look that, at least from a polytheist side, it's going to be said that this is Azazel coming down with the key to open up the abyss in, in the end time. And Azazel was the destroyer god of the Antediluvian Epoch, according to the Book of Enoch. He taught all the war. He taught all the arts of war, the tactics of war. Uh, to the antediluvians, and he's the one that was hung with, and he taught the most of the illicit angelic technology to the world, and was identified as the scapegoat for the destruction of the antediluvian world, and known as the destroyer god. So you get a second goat in the book of Leviticus um, that is sacrificed on the day of it. The second goat, the first goat is for the sins of Israel. The second goat, we're not told who it's for. And that's where it says scapegoat there. Some translations say Azazel. That's because scapegoat in the King James Version Bible goes back to the Hebrew word Azazel. So it seems to be an atonement for the sins of the antediluvian world in, in, in the Day of Atonement uh, feast and celebration of, of the ancient Israelites. And what's interesting about Azazel is, is that um, he is a, depicted as a goat god today. And originally he would have been a seraphim angel, a seraphim watcher, uh, not one of the cherubim type of watchers that I think come out of the, uh, out of the abyss, but uh, 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 I would say an order of seraphim watchers, the sons of God, as we talked about in the book of Enoch or, or Genesis 6, who uh, created the original Nephilim and were degraded to satir gods, or satir, as it's understood in, um, in Hebrew. 
And Watcher shows up in Daniel 4 four times as the Watcher that comes from heaven in charge of religion and governance for the earth with God's edict in this particular chapter in the book of Daniel out of the Bible. And that word Watcher is the Hebrew word ayir, uh, meaning to watch. And that uh, also Anunnaki, or the Gigi, as it's known, the Gigi goes back to a Sumerian word of similar type of spelling and pronunciation, meaning I as in to watch. It says the Anunnaki were watchers and their demigod offspring were watchers. Sair or Satir is a contracted word. So you have Ayir, that's the second count out of the compound word, and a contracted form of Sa'ara and various versions thereof of the Hebrew that means hairy, shaggy, and goat. And so you get this contracted word for Sair, this hairy goat god watcher that's been degraded because we don't get an accounting for for these type of goat gods other than as a satyr or how they how they uh, arrived as being a, a goat god. So in the tradition of these goat gods, you have many goat gods throughout some of the different nations because again they have the same pantheon different same types of orders of gods or angels and different vernacular names so some of the names that we get other than azazel uh, would be the pan god which everybody would be familiar with uh, the greeks you have bacchus that was part of the thracians and the etruscan and, and roman um, pantheons uh, you have baphomet or baphomet which was the god that the Templars worshipped. And uh, one of the founding unnamed members was uh, Henry de St. Clair, a battle partner with Hugh de Payon. And one of St. Clair's descendants of the St. Clair family, who were the ones who also started Freemasonry after the fall of the Knights Templar with the escaping adepts into Scotland and in particular Roslyn, there's another Sinclair that built Roslyn Chapel where you have Azazel hung upside down with the pearls of wisdom as, uh, sort of falling away. Uh, and Roslyn is this tremendously uh, well-turned imagery and stories and stone of the Masonic and, and, and Gnostic history. And so Baphomet was the Templar god uh, that they worshipped secretly. But you have other names like Enos and Phanos and, you know, the Fawn, let's say, in the, the Narnia tales and things like that. Aizirpan was another one from Greek. But you have one that was in um, the Etruscan pantheon named Cernunos. C-E-R-N-N-U-N-N-O-S. And a lot of the names in the Celtic pantheon sort of derive back to the Etruscan and Roman pantheon uh, for, for names. And you have one uh, particular uh, Etruscan god, uh, so Etruscans were proto-Romans. They were like the Indo-Aryans that were before, just as you have proto-Greeks that were there before the Greeks. They were the Scythians or the Indo-Aryans. Well, you, you have one that is called CERN, C-E-R-N. So there may, be an, a, a, there may be an acronym for CERN that is used, but you can't 
sort of get away with the connections of the God who provided all of this ancient technology for the most part uh, being uh, named in the Etruscan sort of pantheon um, and dismiss that and not think there may not be, be some connections there. So I, I thought I'd let you back in again because I'm sure you probably have a hundred questions on some of the stuff that I've thrown out here on on. Uh... <laughs> well, you know, you you've hit many areas that I am semi-familiar with. Um, I, I'm I'm fascinated with the connection of CERN, of course. Um, it it leads one to believe that CERN was not really set up as a um, experimental place for the reasons that most of us think. It, in many ways, it's trying to connect back to its source. Um, I've had tons of authors on the show, um, astrophysicists and biblical theologians and on and on and on, and they all make an effort to connect science and spirituality. And they all fall short. This seems like it's such a, a lock that it's undeniably there. So yeah, and so, the details that we'll we'll talk about as we go on will underline that connection. So that's what makes um, the conversation so so interesting, so intriguing. Yeah, I, it just to me. You know, it was where they were splitting atoms and big deal. But it does now feel more that it's trying to make a connection with the past um, in order to flow into the future more than just splitting atoms and doing whatever they do. I mean, it's just, just that's all we ever hear about is the, the, the absolute science. We don't get into any of the um, theology that goes along with it. And I was not aware of the connection of, you know, the Templars and um, their organizations with with CERN at all, which makes a great deal of sense. So, so you hooked me. You know, you you have you have absolutely made a a case for um, going into it biblically speaking, and and it does come at a, at, at an appropriate time in in our history when when we are so divided looking for unity again is is a very popular thing and certain looks like it would connect that oh it does it absolutely crosses all national borders it becomes a globalist um you know epicenter and it hits data points that go in uncountable ways back and forth throughout the world so it's a technology that's going it that is developing that's going to change the world in ways we can't even imagine at this point uh, and, and, and it's happening quickly so it helps to have an understanding of what is happening and what may be the consequences, good or bad, and so that people can start to make up their own minds. So I wanted to sort of go back to where some of the things that we were talking about at the beginning, and I want to get 
uh, a little bit more focused on AI and lead that into the quantum computing and uh, get into um, how that connects to the multiverses uh, and uh, this source of knowledge that that they're that they're looking for and the particles that they're looking for. <clears throat> out of curiosity. So when we when we look wait, wait, at out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. out of curiosity, it feels as though governments all over are falling apart. And rather than looking at the UN, should we be looking at CERN for a unity that will pull things together? I think they'll be a big part of it. Um, but the world is a very is a very stubborn place, and so <laughs> yes. how the world is going to run has not yet been agreed upon, and there's many rivals. So I think we have to go through some tough times before you see some unity sort of coming out of what what is taking place. So yeah, I think this is. Uh, this is going to be part of where they end up at, but it's going to be rough going there, and we're going to see some of the technologies applied in a bad way before we get there. Uh, so it's important to, to, to sort of understand. So when we talk about AI, and uh, you know, we've we have heard uh, some people of late that are uh, looking at. Uh, and a very, very famous people thing, we should pause on this. We need to understand what we're doing before we get there because this could be ex- existential in its risk factor. And uh, so there needs to be you know, safeguards and things that are put into. And if, if AI is that risky, it's not the... AI is not the holy grail, so to speak, that they're looking for. So that technology would be even of a higher risk or a higher benefit, depending on how you want to look at it. So there was, uh, you know, Elon Musk, uh, he's, uh, he was on record with saying, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demons. And he said that in 2017. <laughs> and uh, there was a fellow by the name of uh, Marco Renessi of the Institute of Ethics and Energy and Technologies, and uh, he said computer sciences are all applied demonology. One of the things that in AI that you hear coming out of a lot of sources is that they're communicating with aliens, spiritual guides, people of different dimensions who are guiding them in some of this technology. And one of the names that sort of keeps popping up is the name Metatron. And Metatron is a name that comes out of the third book of Enoch. And in that book, it has an accounting of Enoch, son of Cain, who increased knowledge so much as what we've talked about previous that he became angel-like and uh, his name was changed uh, to Metatron as such and so Metatron might might be one of these sort of demons or spiritual guides that, 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 that they're talking about. When you hear of the metaverse 
and the different dimensions, that's the source of the inspiration for Meta. So when we're talking about Facebook and Meta, um, that again, it comes from that same sort of level of technology and knowledge and where we're going and how appropriate for a high-tech company that they would be using that as, as part of their imagery and part of their name for their uh, parent company. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about demons and technology. Um, one of the things that a demon needs is an oikotarian. And what an oikotarian is, is a dwelling place for the spirit. Where that comes from is the uh, a verse in Jude 1.6 and in a verse in, in 2 Corinthians 5.2. The one in Jude 6 is talking about the angels and when they left their habitation in, in heaven, and that word habitation is oikotarian. And it's used and translated in 2 Corinthians 5.2 as a house in heaven. And so a dwelling place is in a house, a dwelling place for the spirit. Biblically, we're told that there's a soul and a body which is of this world, the physical world, and the spirit is from heaven. And that the spirit requires uh, an oikotarian, a soul and a body, to interact in the physical world. So when a fallen angel, a spirit being or an angel, loyal angel, wants to make themselves physical in this world, as in um, the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative, or as Hebrews talks about, be careful of who you deal with strangers, because you could be interacting with an angel unknowingly. Um, we know they can take a physical body, and so they create DNA with that, with that dwelling place for the spirit. And so that allows them to interact physically in the world. And the, and the gods, as from a Christian perspective, which I am, I, I have and, and believe in, um, the fallen angels are the gods and the goddesses of the, of the pantheon. Uh, and that they, when they walked amongst us, they, they formed their own bodies one, in, in any gender they chose and probably in any other format they would want to choose. They would have that type of ability and technology to do so. And so they created an oikotarian for themselves. Demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim and the Raphaim. And the ones that are wandering this earth or the ones that will come out of the abyss or the ones that come through portals from Hades and Sheol, if they want to interact physically in this world, they're going to require an oikotarian. And there's a lot of thought that you can have an oikotarian that's technology of some sort. And so transhumanism and those types of bodies and or clone bodies would be an oikotarian that they could dwell in. Some people say that we have these presences in the technology today and they're communicating. So there's a thought that a technology could be an oikotarian for a demon spirit. We have an interesting term in the Old Testament called a teraphim. And what a teraphim is, is, a, is an idol that can talk and can communicate and can advise and would be used in some cases as a source for the prophet. 
And uh, it's talked about as in the King James Version Bible several times as the name teraphim. Sometimes it's just idol that is, you know, translated from Hebrew teraphim. One of these idols was in the, in the time of um, Jacob and, and Rachel, um, Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, and he had fled to uh, Mesopotamia uh, to Abraham's family because of he uh, deceived Esau and received the blessings, the Masianic birthright, and the inheritance by deceiving Esau, and Esau wanted to kill him. So he fled for his own safety and into Abraham's family. And he meets uh, Rachel then, and as they're leaving, Rachel takes the idols from uh, this place in Mesopotamia and Rachel's father, and Rachel's father comes after her and wants the idols back because it's of significant importance. The idol talked about in that in that uh, passage goes back to the Hebrew word teraphim. So this was a powerful walking, not a walking, but a talking, communicating uh, idol. And so somehow, some way, some of the more powerful demons, maybe ones working together in, in numbers, have ability to be in a stone or in something else that they can communicate, which is so, sort of typically out of the accepted oiketarian that a demon could have. But if they could do that, then they could live in a high-tech oiketarian is kind of where I'm making that connection on. And so transhumanism is kind of in the technology, kind of a first step or intermediary stage for human nature and its development into having godhood in this physical world or clone body so that you would always have a, uh, a body to transfer your spirit or, uh, and, and it's known now in some of the entertainment as a sleeve and words like that, the oikotera in the body. Um, and half of what's required for godhood. So godhood, as understood in these terms, is immortality and unlimited knowledge. So this starts to provide some of the requirements to be called a god or to evolve into god or vibrate or in, into god. Um, that you need to have this continuous um, uh, body or oikotarian to live in. And then the knowledge we're going to going to get to down down the road here in, in in the show so and so we have this technology that's starting to influence humans and humans behavior and it's starting to be integrated with humans with superpowers as well and who knows with conjunction uh, with the advent of ai mixing into this what else they're going to be able to do with it now one of the interesting terms in AI is a is an algorithm and an algorithm um, is you know things that you know are working within AI and other technologies and in the coding and the writings and and these are understood sort of in a colloquial sort of term within and as a jargon within the uh, AI uh, research and development, they're called daemons, which is the Greek word for demon. And you get daemons in the New Testament described as evil spirits as, and described as devils, and it goes back to the 
the, the Greek word daemons. And daemons actively manage systems towards a specific goal. So when you start saying, okay, we have algorithms named after demons, and demons could be living in some of this technology, you wonder who's controlling that specific goal of these of these algorithms. Just something sort of paused to or for thought for people to perhaps think about. And that um, they might even be part of the intelligence that might be being demonstrated by the AI intelligences that are, are coming about. And certainly we've seen uh, AI programs that have had to have been set down. They've been bypassing the, uh, the, uh, the, the walls the firewalls uh, and communicating with each other. And so it's developing at a very, very uh, quick level. And so understanding that, you know, the computer slang for um, invisible programs, as they like to call them, that, that are in behind the scenes that control the agenda uh, and, the, and the objective uh, of, of these al- algorithms that these are the daemons, as they're understood, the demons. And they're going to be used to, quote, unquote, to bring order to the world. So we can expect this type of technology to try and be overlaid on the world uh, to bring order to the chaos and the wars and things that we're going to see uh, until the powers come into that sort of unity that, that you were referring to, Barbara. So we're going to see that technology as part of it. And that the demon is like an archetypical program. And it's like an immortal uh, algorithm. Perpetuating self, perpetuating uh, immortal as in gods, immortal as in immortal spirits or the counterfeit spirits of the demons. And it operates, uh, has the ability to operate in the physical nature uh, of, of of bodies and of technology. And um, this is uh, demons in Greek, as they were understood, as they were the spirits of divine inspiration. One needs to understand that the, that the giants were demigods, and they were worshipped as gods, and that uh, many of them returned to their towns after their bodies died, and they were very upset. And there would have to be sacrifices and things done to appease these demigods who no longer have a body and who could no longer physically interact in the world unless they had an oikotarian. So again, all of this has um, spiritual connections that people haven't really you know, had a significant chance to look at or understand. Now, as the technologies of quantum computing and AI are coming together, just as they are in the CERN project, you also have cryptocurrency. And there is going to need to be a currency that can operate in the quantum world. Um, and that they're going to have to have invisible algorithms in behind for those security uh, purposes because the theory is today that 
uh, access to quantum computing could decode what they call the current the cryptocurrency that we're working with today. Now, with the cryptocurrency that we're working with today, uh, as of last October and November, most of the reserve banks around the world have been moving to um, take over that. There's been enough experimental control. They're now wanting to provide a quantum currency uh, that's going to be coming to the advanced technologies as they all start to come to a, a nexus point. An AI uh, cryptocurrency, it works on blockchain and the mining of that blockchain and everything follows. So there's no erasing any of that. And that allows for things like the Alibaba system in China with social credits um, that you can set up a system where it can track your movements, it can track your medical, it can track your medical history, it can track your carbon footprint, all things that they're wanting to put in and more, so that it has the ability to permit you to get a loan, go see a movie, a sports event, travel, um, get a passport. All of that is starting to merge into this larger technology that CERN is, is working on. So I just wanted to throw that in and as a lead in and, and to let you back in uh, because we could talk a lot on a bunch of these things in terms of the quantum uh, currency or the cryptocurrency, but there's a term in the ancient sciences for this crypto technology, geomancy. And geomancy um, is understood in several different forms and manners. It can be, you know, divination of geographical features and lines and things like that. Um, it can be the art of arranging buildings and other sites like the pyramids and the towers were put up in ancient times, like the Tower of Babel, I suspect. Uh, it can be the divination of soil um, and the ground. But it is also used in the use of rocks and crystals to change the energy flow of the earth as in the ley lines. And geomancy is, uh, a geomancer is like a gatekeeper understood in the occult sciences who can create portals between worlds. So geomancy connects into this, and this is an ancient science. It's like the, the Vedas that we were talking about for understanding quantum mechanics. And so this uh, geomancy, it, it, it shows up in Eastern religions in, in ways that people haven't really looked at. One of them is uh, in Taoism, when the ancient form is Taoism with a T. Uh, and it was called Feng Shui, and it works at the quantum level and is a blend of intention uh, and observation. Um, and it's designed to place you in a place of vibration and entanglement and into another sort of state of consciousness. And interconnecting in those different dimensions uh, that is part of the Feng Shui. It's uh, interacting with the waves and the particles in those different dimensions. That's all part of this greater energy 
field that you were talking about earlier, Barbara. And it all works at the subatomic level of particles that are connected and making decisions with each other all the time. And there's a communication system to these particles that are communicating all the time as it's understood in Feng Shui and that everything vibrates with its own consciousness in these different dimensions. And what it's talking about is quantum entanglement where everything is communicated between these particles instantaneously in all dimensions all the time, perpetually ongoing. And it's connected to the uh, the Atman particle out of the out of the Vedas, where that term comes from, and it's uh, sort of cognate with the, the Brahman. And it, the Atman has the eternal knowledge and is omnipresent. It is the soul and the consciousness of uh, and the communication and the instructions and the information and all the decisions of this entity that's controlling uh, all of this knowledge. And it works through particles and uh, through entanglement. And it is an invisible particle. And it can't be measured. Uh, Where in quantum computing and that CERN, they can physically construct mass to identify measurable particles at the quantum level. But with this particle, it's invisible. And what it does is it merges with a measurable particle. And then it sends that information it has through all dimensions instantaneously ongoing in all dimensions. And that's the communication aspect that the Feng Shui was talking about. And it's understood as um, the life force or the undiscovered particle. And it is the uh, complete consciousness of the one entity. So like one with the universe, so to speak, to use a well-understood term that probably doesn't describe the whole meaning of what they're getting at by any stretch of the imagination. But it is the life force that's the undiscovered particle, the holy grail particle that I think uh, the CERN people are looking for. And it has different properties than other particles, as I said. It is, it is like a, uh, a knowledge particle. It is the sort of god or goddess particle, understanding that Sophia is the uh, goddess of wisdom. Um, and finding that particle, I think, is one of the two most important goals that is going on at CERN. So when we talked about the pioneers looking at quantum mechanics and some of the Vedas, I thought maybe I'd just cite a few passages from the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita. Okay. And, uh, and again, there's different translations and they'll use some different words and it won't make this too 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 long because there's, there's just tons and tons of passages on it. But it says like in 8.3, it says the main essence of man is the Atman. 
uh, as in the Brahma dwelling place in each of us. Um, and yoga is used to meditate, to get into the Atman as part of a religious ritual as it was originally designed so that you could sort of astral plane and, and sort of get into that. And that shows up in the Bhagavad Gita as well in, in chapter six. And when you're in the Atma, you're in the divine harmony. Um, the divine Atman is the divine spirit and the supreme in your body. So it has the ability when you're in full contact with it to enter into your body and supply you with unlimited knowledge. It's understood more commonly and particularly with the new age movement uh, as the divine essence and the mother goddess of all wisdom. And it's not that the energy um, is is sort of just there and random but there is this entity of this divine essence that controls all of this knowledge and is sending it out instantaneously and everywhere and to be able to tap into that knowledge through quantum and ai and searching for it you could then put that back into this merging technological system that will be inclusive of all of your medical med- medications and looking after of your body, all of your um, current uh, um, economic monetary requirements through a cryptocurrency that fits with quantum computing and is protected from being cracked through these invisible algorithms uh, that works with AI and brings a complete new system and unity order, almost like in a central system or a cloud system that you would be hooked into. So you will be provided an internal physical body in this world and unlimited knowledge and achieve godhood in the physical world. And so I think this is where the technology that they're working on is working towards this nexus point. But the key is is to be able to find the Atma particle and then access that, put it through sort of a main center system, and then redistribute that through everybody in the world. And so all of these individual high-tech angelic technology that is being developed is all going to be eventually interconnected. Okay, I have a question. Does the Antichrist have to be human, or is it possible that that's exactly what CERN is creating? That's a very good question. Uh, I think it's going to be both. And where I come by that is is just sort of analyzing the, the passages in the Bible. So the individual is talked about as a he. And he's also called the son of perdition that goes back into the same words that Apollo and Apollyon and destroyer come out of. Um, So whether or not he's a physical son of perdition or not, there's a connection there uh, as an individual and as a a demigod-like or a bloodline-like. And he also receives power from the dragon and from Satan. So he's going to receive power. He could be an avatar of a, of an you could be an avatar of an avatar. So just as Shiva um, 
avatared into Narashima and I think 11 other um, incarnations, uh, as, as I recall, and Vishnu was something like 16 times and the most famous was into the Buddha. So just as Antichrist would be one sent to help us evolve into godhood from uh, um, one view of, of, the, of the coming of Antichrist, he would be in the same line as Confucius or Muhammad or uh, Jesus or not that I believe because I believe Jesus is, is the word of God, but within this belief system um, and or Moses and uh, Buddha and all of these famous uh, people sent to us on the way to develop in, into Godhood. But the false prophet also sets up an image of the Antichrist. Image controls all of this technology. And this image... Yeah, but a, hologram, a hologram could do the same thing. And the computer has the ability to create a hologram. Yes, but it can't work on its own as a sentient being. So one of the thoughts is not, not only are you going to have this a technology that can also be used as an oiketarian that you would have demons operating that system as a terraform, as a modern yeah. end time terraform, right? And so they would be it would be working in conjunction with the Antichrist. Now, one of the languages, interesting language that's used in the Book of Revelation about Antichrist and the false prophets and Satan is at the time of Armageddon. In Revelation 16 and when the time comes to gather all the armies for Armageddon you have these demons that are going to come out of the mouth of the false prophet out of the mouth of the Antichrist and out of the mouth of Satan and they're going to do miracles and bring all of these kings and their armies to uh, Armageddon which I think is at the foot of Mount Hermon and the Armageddon battle will take place but you could translate that from Greek just a little bit differently. And you could translate it that they don't that the demons do not come out of the mouths of those three, but that Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan command and control the demons to do this. And if they command and control, just as Satan is the leader of the demons and the fallen angels as he's described as the devil um, and that antichrist is going to be part of his trinity then he too would control them and they would do the things that he did so that he beckoned so he could have like a legion of these demons with this great technology that is controlling the complete system that he'll put into place yeah i just have this this strange feeling that that while this has been researched so thoroughly and everybody thinks that they're looking for a human man to be the antichrist my feeling is it's not going to be a man i mean it could be a woman but but it it feels to me as though we have been deluded by our limitations, that it will fit into our frame of reference and that we're wrong, that there is another way of projecting power, 
of projecting all of the things that are said. I'm not saying, I'm saying that everything you said is true, but I'm saying it comes from a different source. Does that make sense? It does, yes. Yeah, I think so, because I'm, I talk for, more from a biases of Christian perspective uh, um, and then link other stuff into it. And in the Christian perspective, Antichrist receives a mortal head wound but recovers and has a fake resurrection. And that comes in Revelation 13. Um, but I do recognize that, that um, from research I've done on other religions and other sources is that this technology could come forward and be this sentient physical being that it can create its own oikotarian. It'll be that developed that uh, would be the would be the antichrist and i think you're we're talking about the same thing when we're talking about that it's just that fatal from a christian perspective it's that mortal head wound and sort of the again the underlying things that antichrist does biblically is, is that everything is to counterfeit what jesus did so he needs that sort that counterfeit armageddon he needs that counterfeit um resurrection and many other things to put out the pedigree of being what he would he will call himself the uh, the true messiah well yeah he could create an avatar absolutely but all i'm saying is this is all too cut and dried it doesn't make sense to me that it's this cut and dried um it it feels to me as though we are deceiving ourselves and not going outside the box so to speak and trying to see another way that this could be presented to us. That be, because my feeling is most of us, we're going to experience the end times, but it's not going to be the way the Bible has it written down at all. But but the fundamentals are going to be there. Yes, they will be in contrast to Jesus. And, and you know, yes, a, a hologram, an avatar, an empty avatar, can can have a head wound and not die from it. Um, yep. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it, yep. it, 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 and, but but it's it, it's it, too it, cut and dried, Gary. It's just too cut and dried. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's important to get this information out to people because there are more points of view around the world. Problem is, it's not really discussed, and it needs to be discussed so that people can make their own decisions as to what they're seeing and what they will see and how they think that they should sort of understand that. And so, yeah, there will be other points of view in terms of the Christian take on the end time. Um, And there might be several takes on that, and there are. Um, And people will have to make their own decisions. And if people think that um, not making a decision is a decision, they're wrong. So they'll have to make a decision, then you have to live with it. And you have to choose correctly. <laughs> that's that's going to be the trick. I I just think that that when you were looking at CERN and you know where it came from and the foundation and and the connection that you've made to to the past and, and to um, you know the, the the biblical name especially you know that's not you know there's no such thing as a coincidence to that degree um yeah. it 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 does make you wonder just 
just where where is the true reality and and you know I, I've said this so often to so many people how do you know how do you know which way to vote so to speak um, and and it's it's something you know and education helps a lot but then then your own gut has to figure in there too and yep. and help you to determine exactly what feels what feels right and of late especially yeah. and, th- and things are going to um, get very, and things are going to get yeah. very confusing because we're we're going to see the alien phenomena come to full head and people are going to have to grapple who are they are they who they say they are are they really here to help are all of them here to help or some of them aren't here to help and we also have the fallen angels that will be um you know from a christian perspective gods from the from the other perspective um that are going to be walking amongst us again and becoming more visible and more more visible, I think, even before the abyss is opened and before Revelation 12, where all the angels are walking amongst us, all the fallen angels from a Christian perspective walking amongst us uh, in the last three and a half years. So you add all of that into the mix. It starts to overturn everybody's preconceived conclusions to a certain degree. Um, and then you have to grapple with what, you know, what does this mean? And are they telling me the truth? Oh yeah, and well, yes. And when you when you consider aliens, and 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 when you stop to say you say aliens, the, the reality is that we all came from the same source. Aliens were not created by somebody else. The the, the energy that created us created the aliens as well. So that there is a connection somehow, somewhere, but but they are obviously ahead of us technology-wise. So so there therefore it's you know do we really you know aren't they don't they have the non-intervention like Star Trek does or or you know is is there you know I'm I'm ready for them to you know come out of the woodwork and say hi we're here. I don't know yeah. how that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's certainly it's, not, not happening as fast as one, one would have thought it would happen. And even with the U.S. government starting to admit to some of these, you know, phenomena, uh, they're not coming clean with the information. And, you know, we're really not much further ahead than we were 20 years ago in terms of when are they going to come out and what will they say? Uh, and what is their a position on uh, intervention, you know, or have they been intervening all the way through? I mean, we we don't know these things, well, I, uh, I think but I don't think it, all of it, them are good. <laughs> I, I think I think what what got to me was, you know, I'm pretty sure they're out there, but I'm also pretty sure that things like Eisenhower signing a treaty with them is is the yeah. biggest pile of crap ever. Because I mean, look at look at what we did with the um, indigenous people. We signed we signed um, yeah. treaties with them, and then we broke the treaty. And these entities yeah. that are coming from other places obviously are that far ahead of us. So what would a piece of paper mean to them? That's stupid. 
So so it's a matter of how are they going to communicate? I mean, if if some of the saucers that we've seen are truly otherworldly, then then they are trying to make their their presence known, but but it's it's not going to be they're not going to they're not going to hit the UN or heads of government. I think it's going to have to be something that is just so globally there that that everyone will have to deal with it, as opposed to you know sending a representative to speak with a head of government. I mean that's just stupid. It's not going to happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they would have the technology to be able to. They they would have the technology to take all of the leaders of the world and put them into one room and (laughs) address them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they 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 could lock the door. They'd be so far advanced. (laughs) Let us start all over again. (laughs) (laughs) And leave them there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You guys have done a poor job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. you know, this, between the technology and, and the alien thing and uh, the geopolitical things that are going on out there and the uncertainty of things, um, it's only going to get more sort of heated. And we need to get uh, we need to get the knowledge on the table. And I'm more about um, not trying to convert to people to my belief system, but to get information on the table. Uh, so that people can dig deeper themselves because if we think it's a hectic pace today, we haven't seen anything yet. Um, And I can only imagine what another pestilence would do in terms of global passports and this Alibaba system and the cryptocurrency that they want to bring about Uh, and and the Great Reset. You know, when you have the the G20 and the B20 working together, and, you know, they continue to announce that uh, great reset that they want to do and a complete restructuring of the world and that they want to take uh, – and the WHO organization is probably already accepted the new um, international medical passport, uh, which will be a digital-based one um, that's based on the Alibaba system because they were – uh, the, the meet on that in March and all things looked like they were going to accept that new passport and it was going to uh, be designed to replace the, the current passport that we have um, and it would uh, uh, be built on that blockchain collection uh, of knowledge so um, I think we're going to see I think we're going to these technologies coming together uh, still in peace parts but there's going to be this great nexus point where all of this starts to come together and I think a lot of people are going to be fooled that when they start to see it come into what looks like this great system and it's kind of known in in the Christian world as the beast system that they're going to say this is this is it well no there's going to be more development of that and then the Babylon's going to have the, the system developed from a Christian perspective. And then Antichrist takes it over. So it's going to be very confusing, just like people are going to say, this war was Armageddon, and it's not. It's just going to get more developed. Oh, yeah. Um, and well, it's now, going to be very, very confusing. Well, now we brought up at end times. How does CERN connect to end times? How, how does it play into it? 
it is the uh, scientific uh, dynamite, so to speak, that is the nexus center to bring in that merging of AI, um, quantum computing, um, and the crypto, and pull in all of that knowledge from all of the universes that is going to go through one system that everybody will have a uh, an implant um, connected into this central system. I mean, 2017, the Davos crew said that the, they have the base level technology for the for the chip system and it will be implemented they weren't sure of the timetable but they said it'll come through the healthcare system and that people will demand it for their um, protection against uh, pandemics for cures to cancer for longer better lives um, and they'll demand it they won't be forced to have it but they'll demand it to live longer lives and that this is the same system that they're going to add top into the cryptocurrency and the passports that they're currently working on. So it's that nexus through the development, but to make the whole thing work, they have to be able to promise godhood, which is immortality in the physical world and unlimited knowledge, which what CERN is working on will be the, like I say, the, the dynamite, the, intellectual dynamite to to pull this together through the atmel particle still feels like it's the antichrist i mean i I know it can't be but you know um it, it just it just feels like it's all there and and you know while there may be one person that heads it up and stuff like that it's it's like this is yep. too, too many promises with not enough you know, what are you getting out of it type stuff. And, and, and you know, having having it be the equivalent of, of Antichrist doesn't mean it started out that way. It's just that absolute power corrupts absolutely, always. Yep, yep. And we're also going to see a lot of counterfeit Antichrist, too, which will make things even more confusing. So... We want to be very careful of a, you know, from what you're talking about, it may not be a, a human, I think otherwise, but uh, we need to be, you know, critically analyzing everything, but don't point at the first one who you think is going to be Antichrist. I mean, this sort of phenomena where you point at every new president saying he's Antichrist, not saying you do, but sort of generically <laughs> that people do. Um, is crazy. Um, and then, you know, people are saying, well, King Charles III or the King of France or the President of France or it's just, and we haven't even seen a legitimate Antichrist figure yet. So and there's going to be many of them. So <laughs> according to the Bible, at least. So uh, we need to, like I said, we need to not get ahead of ourselves on the end time uh, chronology but uh, we also need to be able to think logically and, you know, find a way to assess the information because it's just going to get faster and uh, uh, more challenging to to sit through. And certainly our media is not going to be helping us because they're more propaganda. Well, they are propaganda um, versus being objective and giving you the information. So we can't rely on them. Um, so it's going to be well, very even hard the internet, to 
uh, get even information. Even the internet does. Yeah. Even the internet does that, though. It 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 kind of takes a look at the kind of things you look for, and it it gives them to you. And you know, yeah. sometimes it does. Sometimes it, it it gives you false information too. I mean, it's it's hard to yep. sometimes figure out exactly what truth actually is. I yeah. I, I used to say. Yep. You know, it used to be easy. There were guys who wore white hats and guys who wore black hats, and you knew who the bad guys were. Yep. Now everybody has a gray yep. hat on, and we're supposed to figure out what's the most appropriate, what's the best way, what's the what's the most honorable way, what's the most spiritual way for us to flow. And that's a yep. hard thing to determine. Yeah, yep. and wow. we've seen through some of the last uh, series of uh, of, of political roundabouts and um, pestilent uh, catastrophes is that there's an ability to censor the truth. Uh, I can't, it's, it's hard to believe so many people who are telling the truth of things uh, were censored. And yet in the status quo, the establishment in the media and in the high-tech organizations and the social media, they only permitted their propaganda to be seen and anybody else was erased. It's so it's going to be difficult if that continues as we see all of this other stuff that we're only going to get the information uh, that they want us to have that is going to cattle herd us in a direction that we may not want to go. Absolutely. Now, um, <clears throat> I've read your other book, three times for sure. And and I know your next book is is almost out. So how yep. much more was there to tell cuz your first book is very very um complete I thought, but you have another volume here. So what do you go more into in the new book that you didn't go into in the old book? Yeah, so for uh I thought you know I said I would I would never write a uh, sequel to the Genesis 6 conspiracy because I didn't want to be redundant. And, you know, I thought on certain things that you, know, you could give more examples, but it would be saying the same type of thing. What I learned from Christians and non-Christians, um, but heavily Christians, is that, number one, Christians are starved of being taught the whole Bible in their churches and that they're not taught about prehistory and they're not taught about prophecy. And so they only get the slice that's in between that um, that is taught in the churches and they don't get a full understanding of what's in the Bible and they're easily, they have so many questions that aren't being answered. And it also leads that people can, uh, you know, have their, or some of their faith wedged because they can't answer the questions when somebody asks them the question they ought to know. So this book was sort of written and targeted towards Christians uh, as some more trying to pull in people from all sorts of different belief systems in, in, um, in the first book. Um, and it is designed to go deep into the Bible uh, in terms of how much more is there on giants than what I covered in, in the first book. So the book is designed to be read independently but 
uh, there'll be a little bit of crossover, but only so that you don't lose the reader in terms of what you're talking about. But it's a companion to the first one. And so you can read them independently, and you probably may want to read them both. And so I go into deep of how many tribes of giants there are, how we know giants are real, um, how many types of how many kinds of hybrid races, uh, human giants, are, are in the Bible after the flood, the formation of the beast empires, the angelic hierarchy, both loyal and rebellious, and start providing the allegorical terms that you need to understand end-time prophecy. And so I'll show them in the older application, and then I'll lead you, lead, as I get into about chapter um I start transitioning that language into end-time prophecy with some examples, and then I start laying down the chronology all the time using the things that you need to understand. What What is Babel? What are the, the great and mighty men of the New Testament? Um, you know, what are the scorpion beings that are coming out of Revelation 9? What are these beasts that we were talking about in, 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 in the... Uh, uh, Revelation 9, War, Joel 1 and 2, and Ezekiel 38 and 39. So that's kind of what sort of the whole concept was for the book. So I'm there to, the book is to provide Christians the things that they're not taught in, in, in the Christian churches and to help explain biblical end-time prophecy and the whole hidden world that's there for us in the Old Testament that helps you better understand all of the history and Christian history and Israelite history uh, and as it pertains to the end times. So it's called the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, and the, the subtitle is How Understanding Prehistory in Giants Helps to Define End-Time Prophecy. And I don't have... I, I, I have a ballpark sell price. It's going to be a little bit more money than uh, the first book, uh, but the new... The old book will be going up in price because publishing costs have gone up 30 or 40 percent in the last few years, and oh, yeah. um, so I don't have a I don't have a firm price on it yet. I've got I, I sent you a, a copy of, of the cover. It's still in the editing process. That'll be done in <laughs> two weeks latest. So then it's just because uh, uh, we've gone. I've just got chapter six and seven to or section six and seven to what I call edit the editor. Um, so that it still reflects everything that, that I want, and uh, then it gets into the printing queue. So I'm, I'm thinking August or September for, for, for the release date. Uh, so if people are interested or they're familiar with the Genesis 6 conspiracy, the first book, and you're interested in this book, and you want to get a notification when the book is out, I have an email address um, that I'm making available and it's pretty easy to remember. It's the Genesis 6 Conspiracy. That's Genesis 6 with the number 6 Conspiracy, part 2 with the number 2 at gmail.com. So Genesis Conspiracy, part 2 at gmail.com. And just, just, you just have to send me an email and when it's going to be, when I know it's going to be available and what the price and where it's going to be available. I will shoot out an email to give you the options to buy. It will not be a solicit. It will just give you the information where you can get a hold of my book. Well, I think we're scheduled for um, another show um, again at this time. Actually, I guess we we're going to actually do Talk about the it's, new book. Uh, yeah. 
September 25th for for this book is when we're scheduled. So yep. it is my sincere hope that we get a chance to to actually do that book. Otherwise, we'll do another fascinating uh, <clears throat> segue to the side to the side for a little while. But um, it just your first book was so fascinating and. Uh, I, you know, I tell people I read it three times. Um, every time I read through it, there I found more things that I had missed the first time, that you know came up the second time and the third time. So I'm, I'm so looking forward. Is I think when I get into August, I will read your first book again, so that this one I'll read on its heels, so that you know it'll yeah. it'll be a it'll be a cool. I, I mean. Happily, my work is reading books, so you know it's it's sort of like um, the best of all possible worlds. Number of things that I was going to say, a number of things that I cover for people who may be interested in some of this uh, um, history and prehistory is that I cover off uh, all of the uh, giant wars uh, after the flood. So not only the Genesis 14 War of Giants, but um, all the campaigns uh, in the conquest of the covenant land where the Israelites are going up against the Rephaim and the hybrid nations, so the battle of Rephidim, the battle of Atherinim, the eastern campaign, the central campaign, the northern campaign, the southern and mountain campaign, the war of the judges, the wars of David and Saul and right through to Solomon and I also get in, I cover off the Jesuits, which I didn't cover off in the first book because I thought uh, it might be a little bit, uh, get people sort of sidetracked in the first book, but it fits well in terms of linking into end time prophecy with the Jesuits. And I link that back into the hierarchy of the secret societies. I was talking about the Philemic tree. I go through that sort of in detail and give everybody the work on that. So you get an idea how to understand the hierarchy of secret societies and the meaning of the genealogical trees and so much more. I mean, it's just loaded with information in every chapter. So if you're into the hidden history and uh, the mysterious end times, might be the book for you. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, it, your first book was fascinating, and I turned a tremendous number of my friends onto it, and I, I am looking forward to the second book as well. Uh, I just think that that it's, having you on the show is like going to school. So it's 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 kind of like I take notes, and then I go back and I have to put it all together again but but happily of course there's the archive to the show so i can always go back and re-listen yeah. to the archive and pick up what i didn't get uh the atma and the atman particle is an area that i'm going to look into because i wasn't quite sure about you know what they were and and how they apply to everything else but you you cleared it up quite a bit but i'm still going to go back in and and tear it apart a little bit more. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at CERN a lot more closely, too, because I, I, well, I think people working there think they're doing God's work. I'm not so sure. So it's also being used, it can be used as a weapon. And, yeah. and, I, yeah. also, and, I, 
And I also, <clears throat> on the um, on the graphic for the show, I have a picture of a spiral blue light being shot out from the CERN collider, collider into the sky, and I don't know what that is, but it fascinated me when I saw the picture, and I'm still trying to figure out what it was, but it felt like it was a signal of some sort being sent somewhere. So you might check the graphic out sometime. <laughs> well, and, and one wonders if it can shoot things out. Is there a weapon attached to that I mean, <laughs> who exactly. Knows, right? so, exactly. <laughs> no, no. I, I think the or, saddest yeah, thing or, about every new discovery, the first thing they ask is, "How can we make a weapon of it?" So that tells me that that humanity is not ready to get to the next level of spiritual whatever. So, you yeah. know, not how can we cure with it, but but how can we well, weaponize? I just I just saw our time. We are absolutely out of time. Um, I want to thank you so very much for for being here again tonight, and and I'm so looking forward to September. And you probably are going to get a couple calls from me in between asking you to clear up some stuff for me. <laughs> sure. Anytime. But Anytime. I do, I do. I do. Thank you so much for being here yet again. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we lived up to the, the billing in terms of what I talked about at the start of the show, that this is going to get you to think, should get people to think more about CERN and in avenues they hadn't even considered thinking about because it's a, it's a significant project and has sister projects around the world. So it's being worked at at, uh, at a very high level and active pace and is developing very, very quickly in the technology. Absolutely. I, it's, it's, I'm going to really take a look at it from now on. So thank you again, and I look forward to having you on again in September. Terrific. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.